So we are in uh, the second week of a three-week series where we're talking about spiritual gifts. Next week, church is going to look a little bit different for you. It's going to be, I think anyway, I don't see, there's Kathy. Kathy is going to be leading the this portion of, she doesn't want me to say she preaches. Uh, She likes to say she teaches. And so Kathy's going to be up front next week helping us think through our our own personal spiritual gifts and leading us through an interactive portion of the sermon where you will start to work to discover your spiritual gifts and then share them with us who are in leadership here at the church So that when we get ready to start a new ministry or we're looking for board members or we're looking for Sunday school teachers, we can look based on in our database based on who has what spiritual gifts. And so we may be needing new Sunday school teachers and we would want people with like the gifts of wisdom and the gifts of teaching and the gifts of exhortation. And and we'll talk a little bit about what all that means here in a moment. But we would be able to like search in our database specifically for those gifts and then say, like, oh, well, we know that Justy has the gift of exhortation. Maybe she'd be a good person. And so we could call her, and Justy would be like, well, now that I'm not on the board anymore, I'm looking for another way to keep myself extra busy at the church. And we would say, well, just so happens we have one, Justy. And so that's how uh, that will all go down, I'm sure, right? Yeah. She's like, uh-uh. Done my time in the mafia. You know, I, I used to think of like volunteering at church like the mafia, just as a side conversation. This part of the sermon is free, by the way. Um, and it was like you volunteer for something at the church and then you never get to stop. And that's not true. Like, we don't want it to be that way. If you volunteer, we want you to be able to say, like, hey, my time's up, I've done enough. And we want to let you off so that somebody else can come in and do that work also. And so it's a shared kind of ministry thing that we do together. So uh, it's not the mafia. It's church. It may feel like the mafia, but it's not. You're wrong. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Ooh, man, I didn't even drink that much coffee this morning, Stuart. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 31 is what I'm going to be reading today. Last week... I read just prior to this, where Paul kind of lists off part of the spiritual gifts. Now, in Scripture, there are... Well, I've covered up my sermon, so I can't see my notes. There are over 20... Well, some people would say there are over 20 spiritual gifts. Some people would say there are less than 20 spiritual gifts. It's always right there around 20 throughout Scripture. And the way that I count it, there are 20. And so uh, next week, you'll be trying to figure out which of those 20 are you kind of spiritually gifted at, and what does it mean to have a spiritual gift, because it's different than a talent. You know, like, Randy is obviously a very talented musician, but that doesn't mean that that's a spiritual gift, because actually musicianship is not one of the spiritual gifts listed in Scripture. So maybe she has the spiritual gift of exhortation, which is encouragement, And the way that she sings leads us to feeling encouraged in our faith. She may not even know that that's what's happening. But the Spirit of God uses her talent in a way that makes it extra supernatural to uh, work in a way that we may or may not even know about. This is what Paul says, uh, starting with verse 12 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Christ... 
just like the human body, or Christ is just like the human body. A body is a unit and has many parts. And all parts of the body are one body, even though there are many. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek or slave or free. And we all were given one spirit to drink. Certainly the body isn't part, but many. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, does that mean it's not part of the body? If the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, does that mean it's not part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, what would happen to the hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, what would happen to the sense of smell? But as it is, God has placed each one of the parts in the body just like he wanted. If all were one and the same body part, what would happen to the body? But as it is, there are many parts but one body. So the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Or in turn, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Instead, the parts of the body that people think are the weakest are the most necessary. The parts of the body that we think are less honorable are the ones we honor the most. The private parts of our body that aren't presentable are the ones that are given the most dignity. The parts of our body that are presentable don't need this. But God has put the body together giving greater honor to the part with less honor so that there won't be division in the body and so that the parts might have mutual concern for one another. I think I'm going to stop there because that's a lot for us to talk about. May God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation and may God give us wisdom and courage to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Amen. That's a weird passage of Scripture. I will admit it right off. Read especially out of context. It's like, what in the world is Paul talking about? So we could read it as the different body parts that he talks about would be different spiritual gifts that he had just previously listed. So some might have the gift of tongues, and some might have the gift of interpretation of tongues, and some might have the gift of exhortation, And some might have the gift of leadership, and some might have the gift of teaching. None of those gifts are more important than the other. They all are needed in the body, which is the church, not just this church, but the church universal, to be able to do the work that the Spirit of God is leading us and calling us to do. Us. Not just us as individuals, us as a whole. Morningstar, us as the church universal in Las Cruces, but us as the church universal throughout the world as well. We need everybody we can and their particular spiritual gifts to do the work that God is calling us to do. (laughs) Oftentimes what will happen, in my experience, is that one spiritual gift above the others. So I can remember a time when I was a youth pastor, that the ki- some of the kids that I were uh, in charge of being the youth pastor of got really interested in the more obviously supernatural spiritual gifts. And they 
had that happen because they were, you know, as kids are prone to do, they're going to visit this thing and that thing and kind of explore their faith all on their own. And they had gone to a church that was really trying to push everybody in the room, whatever room that happened to be, to be people who speak in tongues. And so these kids would come back to our Methodist church and say, what in the world is going on? Have you ever heard that? And I'm like, yeah, I heard it one time. And so we would have these conversations about what it is, what's going on, do people need to do that? And they had been taught that if you don't speak in tongues, then you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit within you. So that gift would be lifted up above all of the other gifts. But Paul says very clearly, that is not what is to happen. The one gift is no more important than any other gift. And on a real practical sense, if I were to give a gift to Michelle, and she took it and was like, I wish it was something else, (laughs) then it wouldn't feel like much of a gift that I had given or received. And so if you have the spiritual gift of uh, whatever, and you're like, oh, that's not that cool. I really wish I had the gift of prophecy. Well, use the gift that you have. And be grateful for it, because it is just as important as any other gift could possibly be for all of us working together. I was going to show you a movie clip at this point in the sermon, but because we stream on Facebook, boo Facebook, um, we can't show movie clips because their artificial intelligence is so good now that they would realize, like, oh, they're not showing that movie in, like, uh, whatever copyrighted way, and they would shut down our live stream. And so we can't do that. Um, That's one of the reasons we're going to start trying to transition people more and more to our website and away from Facebook is because we want to be able to do some more creative things over these next few months uh, in our sermons and, and what we're ha- what's happening in church. So more on that later. But uh, the movie clip I was going to show you is from Remember the Titans. Anybody ever seen that movie? If you haven't, uh, you have sinned and you need to go and watch the movie. It is really, really a good movie, and there's some great lessons to be learned on it on racism, younger kids, because it's clean, there's nothing in it that you need to be worried about, and it teaches some really good lessons about coming together and working together as a team. But there's this one particular scene, and this, uh, in fact, Coach Boone, who was coaching this football team that the movie is about, just died recently. And so there's a lot you can read about his life beyond the movie that's pretty amazing. Uh, he was coaching at T.C. Williams High School in Virginia, and, he, and they had integrated this high school, and it was the first year that the school had been integrated, and they had a kind of legendary coach who had been coaching the white kids at T.C. Williams, and uh, they hired a new coach who was a black man who brought on the legendary coach to be his defensive coordinator, and so there were the white kids, and there were the black kids, and there were the white kids who had previously played for this legendary coach, and then there were the black kids who coming to the school knew and were dealing with lots of racist uh, ideology being physically thrown in their direction, and there's a black coach in a town that's not wanting to desegregate their schools, and they go to camp, 
And they're doing their two-a-days, and the white kids and the black kids on the team are not really getting along well. They're not meshing, and they're not working as a team. And there's one particular scene that after practice, the best of the players who's a white guy and the best of the players who's a black guy end up in a conflict. And the white player is saying, look, you're selfish. You don't do things that help the team. And when you are working only for yourself, it hangs me out to dry and then I get beat up on the field. So do your job and it makes it easier for everybody else to do their job. And Julius turns to Gary and says, team? What team? We don't have a team. And he goes on and on about how he's seeing the fact that there's no team. And then he says, and in that situation, I'm going to get mine. And Gary says, that's a poor attitude. And Julius says, attitude reflects leadership. As I look around our country, I see us divided and splintered and fractured. And the Holy Spirit, I believe, is a uniter. And so when we have within our denomination and within all of the churches around the world people who are allowing themselves to be fractured, not based on how much, how, much of, how much fear we have towards the other, it tells me that we have forgotten that our spiritual gifts, according to Paul, are to work together for the common good. And our thinking has to come by the power of the Holy Spirit to allow us to recognize when we're doing work that is divisive and when we're doing prophetic work. Because sometimes prophetic work is going to feel divisive to you when the prophet is speaking something that injures you and steps on your toes. We have to be wise enough to step back, take a deep breath, and figure out, is, am I offended because I'm feeling it? Or I'm offended because they're actually trying to divide people. I know for a fact that I've been in the physical presence of two people who have the spiritual gift of prophecy. One of them is a man named Tex Sample. He's a United Methodist pastor, the longest tenured professor at St. Paul School of Theology. And the other is a man named Tony Campolo, who's a sociology professor at Eastern University in Philadelphia. And when those two men speak, they make almost everybody mad. And it's not mad because they're calling any one person out. It's because they're talking about the state of the world in which we live and our roles that we play in it. They're not trying to divide anybody. They're trying to pull everybody together by allowing us to see the sins that we participate in together so that we can together repent of them and stop living in rebellion and start living in unity with the Spirit of God. So I'm going to talk briefly, very briefly, because we do not have time to go over all of the spiritual gifts, all 20 of them this morning. Even if I took one minute per gift, 
you're out of here before I'm done. So I'm going to go over a few of the ones that are the most, uh, the ones I have the most questions thrown my way about. So one of the spiritual gifts that Paul lists is the spiritual gift of miracles. That is really weird, right? Like, when I think of a, a miracle, I think of Peter walking on water. I think of, <laughs> I think of Jesus saying to Peter, hey, we, we owe some tax. You need to go catch a fish. When you catch the fish, reach into its mouth, and there's going to be enough money in that fish's mouth to pay both of our taxes. I wish I could have that miracle happen in my life. <laughs> I think of the walls of Jericho falling, Goliath. When I think of miracles, I think of those sorts of things. And so to know that there's some people walking around who have the gift of miracles makes it seem as though they're the people who can enact the miracles. But that's not what this gift is. Because if they could enact the miracle, if they could make the miracle happen, then they are God. See, what happens is sometimes people will find out, oh, I have the spiritual gift of miracles. And they lift themselves up or other people lift them up instead of the person who gives the gift. So the gift of miracles is not about performing miracles, but about living in the miraculous reality of God's creation. Those gifted with miracles never doubt the power and presence of God in God's creation. And they're able to help others see and believe in God's power. The gift of miracles does not focus on the extraordinary but sees the miraculous and the mundane and normal. Living in the spirit of the miraculous, people see God in nature, in relationships, in kind acts, and in the power of love. Does that make it seem like a more visible thing for you, how somebody, and maybe even you, have the spiritual gift of miracles, that you can see the miraculous all around you? The gift of prophecy gets a lot of questions because we assume, based on our culture, that prophecy is about foretelling the future, what's going to be happening. But prophecy, in a biblical sense, is about foretelling, like this is what's happening right now. So, the gift of prophecy is the ability to speak God's word to others or more appropriately, to be open for God to speak God's word through us. Prophets do not predict the future, but offer insight and perspective on current conditions and how things might turn out if changes are not made. Prophets are incisive, clear, and often controversial communicators. Prophets see things that others often don't, and they have the courage to tell it like it ought to be. Tony Campolo one time said, repent of your BMWs. He was talking about poverty and justice, justice being people having everything they need. If I were in Texas, I could say, repent of your suburbans. In Las Cruces, maybe it's uh, repent of your forerunners. And then everybody's favorite is, say it louder, tongues. Everybody wants to know what in the world. The gift of tongues 
is a communication gift that allows people to speak foreign languages and convey concepts they never formally studied. People with this gift pick up the ability to communicate across barriers of language, culture, age, or physical limitation. Some people with the gift of tongues work with the deaf or the blind. The identification of the gift of tongues as a secret prayer language is often misunderstood. An individual manifesting the gift in this way must always be paired with someone who has the gift of interpretation of tongues. These gifts are given for the upbuilding of the body of Christ. So, you may have been in a church service before where somebody will stand up and start speaking in tongues. And when you start asking what's going on, somebody else will say, well, that's that person's prayer language. Well, prayer language is to be interpreted by someone else. Paul writes about this in Ephesians, that if you start to stand up and pray or speak in tongues in a gathering like this, and nobody is interpreting, how can we agree with or say amen to your prayer if we do not understand what you're saying? I heard a story this last week from one of our church members who said that their uncle used to, uncle and aunt used to come to dinner when they were small children and sit down to pray before a meal, and the uncle would pray in tongues. And this man who was a, a kid at the time said, I had no idea what he was even talking about. Well, if you were to stand up in church and start speaking in tongues, we wouldn't want somebody else to interpret that. I heard from a member of our church that used to live in another state that this would happen to them. They would be in church and someone would stand up and start speaking in tongues and they would understand the idea that was being presented by the person speaking in tongues and they'd never found the courage within themselves to stand up and say, what they're saying is, but what would happen is somebody else would stand up and say, what they're saying is, and it would be the, the same exact idea that was running through our church member's head. That's interpreting it. I knew of a woman one time who could not speak Spanish. She was at a food kitchen, a food uh, soup kitchen, and she felt like she needed to go talk to one particular person who was sitting all by themselves at the end of the table, and so she went and sat down, and that person, who was already sitting down and eating, could only speak Spanish. And the lady that I know that didn't speak Spanish somehow was able to understand enough of what she was saying and communicate enough back to her that they were able to have a conversation that led them to pray together. That would be having the gift of tongues. And then lastly, I just think this is a really interesting one, the gift of knowledge. The gift of knowledge allows people to automatically convert facts and data and information into useful and important knowledge. People possessing this gift can learn in a variety of ways, retain what they learn, and understand how learning can be applied in meaningful and productive ways. Those gifted with knowledge have a voracious and insatiable desire to learn more, and they seek multiple avenues for deepening their understanding of God's world, God's will, and God's people. So you can see why we might want someone who has the gift of wisdom and teaching to be our Sunday school teachers. Because they would be able to take what they're learning and then use the spiritual gift of teaching to express it to, what, to, to our kids. The main idea that I want you to walk away with today is this. 
when we discover what our spiritual gifts are, we need to find ways to put them to use. And I think what you're going to find is that you're already putting those gifts to use. Can you imagine a ninth grade teacher who has the spiritual gift of teaching and compassion? That they would be someone who somehow is able to easily convey to other people ideas and knowledge so that they're able, the other people are able to absorb it, but they're also compassionate so that they understand when a ninth grader comes to them and they're struggling because their parents are getting divorced or their mom is being incarcerated or their aunt was just diagnosed with cancer or their little brother died in a car accident, that this person would have compassion to be able to wrap their arms around these children and let them know that they're loved and cared about in a supernatural way. What if there's a bank teller who has the spiritual gift of encouragement? There's so many ways that these gifts can be used, whether we have jobs or are retired or just get to stay at home. Whether you're a student or whether you live in a nursing home. The spiritual gifts that God gives us can be used to further the kingdom And you and I get to be part of that. And to me, that is a miracle. In the name of our Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen.